This podcast is sponsored by Meridian. For custom integrators, it's all about the performance. We get that at Meridian. That's why we craft high-res audio solutions, purpose-built for integrators, that put the listener right at the heart of the performance. High-res audio, engineered for you, built by Meridian. It's the future of sound. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, a podcast produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and with my industry guests today we'll be looking at the question of image rights. What happens if you find that a photo of one of your installations pops up on the website of another integrator? What should you do and how can you put a stop to this kind of behaviour? We'll also be exploring how integrators recruit new employees, what works, what doesn't work and how can you best resource projects to deliver a professional solution for your client? Welcome to The Integrated Home. We're podcasting today from the north of England. Not beyond the wall, we're in the very warm and comfortable surroundings of the cinema showroom that belongs to bespoke home cinemas in the very fine city of Leeds. We're privileged to be joined by Mel and Gift Malcolm, the husband and wife team behind Bespoke, And from across the Pennines, we have Oliver Hall from Cedia award-winning company, Ultimation. Welcome to all three of you. Good morning. Hi. Hi. So, Gif, tell us a little bit about Bespoke Home Cinemas and the business you run. Uh, Bespoke Home Cinemas has been going 22 years. Originally started off as a CCTV company. We diversified then into home automation. Then when the recession came, obviously the industry quietened off a bit, so we concentrated on one-room solutions, primarily media and cinema rooms. And what about this cinema? It's a fantastic space. So this is our reference theatre. We have a stealth theatre in the front of the showroom. This is where the magic happens when we come in. You'll hear from the room, it's a full acoustically lined, dedicated room that's very plush. It's a bit hard to explain on a, a podcast. On the tech side, it's Dolby Atmos 724. There's a native 4K laser projector on an anamorphic screen. And what about the experience that customers get when they they actually see it? What do they think? Coming from the front of the showroom, which is designed as a media room, it's very minimalist. When you come into this room, it's very plush, very high end. Um, This just sells. People walk into this. It doesn't matter the price point this room's at. We can sell up and down from it. It's the overall experience. This isn't designed to look like somebody's lounge. When somebody walks in here, they know they're in a cinema. So it's the size of a, a, what, a typical family room in a house? The size of a a dining room slash garage conversion. This room's 3.6 metres wide, 5 metres long. It's got seven custom seats in it. Uh, They're sort of tiered. We have a coffer ceiling, full stretch fabric acoustic system in. So you're the technical brains at Bespoke? Unfortunately, yes. And Mel does the business side of stuff? Yes. Yeah, I do quite a lot of the sales marketing side of things. The introduction Really, when a client comes through the door or there's an inquiry through the website, I introduce Bespoke Home Cinemas and then hand over to Gifford to do demonstrations. And full disclosure, you're just about to fly off to Cedia because you're on the Cedia Global Board, aren't you? Yes, I've just joined the Global Board, which is very exciting. Looking forward to a year's post. Some exciting things going on in the industry. So, yeah, really looking forward to taking part in all of that. Excellent. Oliver, what about you in Automation? 
Well, we're relatively new kids on the block, I think, because we've only been going for 10 years. But uh, I came in to home automation from a slightly different angle from a lot of people who come from a sort of audio-visual background. I worked for 15 years for Sony with PlayStation, so my background is much more sort of computer science, programming, that kind of stuff. So um, I went down to one of the CD shows when they were still running down in London and looked around thinking I was going to create a brand-new home automation system. And going down to that show taught me pretty quickly that it was pointless trying to reinvent the wheel. So we ended up teaming up with one of the bigger manufacturers, and that's 10 years ago. And from there, we've gone on. We tend to do sort of larger residential projects. And we concentrate primarily on the programming, the system design side of things. But then we work with another company in Manchester for the actual install, the, the dirty work. OK. And how is business up in the north? I mean, it's a, it's a different universe up here to a lot of integrators working in London, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's just going better and better all the time, really. I mean, yeah. You start off fairly small. You, you know, Any job that comes across your table, you have to go for it. But uh, we're in a very fortunate position now where we can sort of pick and choose the jobs that suit our business model and are right for us. And cinema business going well? Yeah, it's absolutely booming for us at the moment. Can't complain. Yeah, the last five years have been immense growth in cinemas. We work all over the country. As far down south as Southampton, we've got one uh, well past the wall at the moment up in Carlisle. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. well, what I'd like to talk about, first of all, is something that is bespoke driven. You've been all over social media in the last couple of weeks with a story about image rights. Do you want to tell us a bit about that, Mel? Yeah, um, the last couple of weeks, but I'd say the last few years, we've been finding, because we do a lot of social media, a lot of marketing for bespoke home cinemas, and we've been finding a lot of our images globally. But the last couple of weeks, closer to home. So I was just, in general, just looking at some installers locally, and found some images of bespoke home cinemas on their website, social media, and then as I looked deeper into it, found lots of other installer images on there and approached this company. And unfortunately, they're still showing a lot of images from other install companies. So but they've taken your one? They've removed ours, but yeah, they're still showing a lot of other images. So... That's because you're good at publicity. You take really nice install shots. So other installers picking that stuff up online and just passing it off basically as yeah. this is our work or implying that it's their work, not crediting it to anybody they're not, not crediting, asking you for any permission. They're not crediting. They're not sharing it as though it's ours. They're blatantly passing off as though it's one of their installations and as well using the name Bespoke Home Cinemas as a header. So Have you ever come across that? We've not had anything quite as blatant as that. I mean, and not something that I think we could categorise as kind of passing off. But we do come across an awful lot of situations in in the work where you see people saying things that you know because you're in the industry and you know the history of things that are a little bit disingenuous. You know, you you often see people making claims that are stretching the truth really Mm. to the almost breaking point. And how do you think installers should deal with this? Because I've heard this story from a lot of integrators having their stuff used by other integrators without any permission or whatever. I mean, how do you think that can be stopped? Well, how did I, you stop it, actually? That's probably a better question. Well, um, I basically got to the stage where I've been speaking to this company for 18 months and they originally removed the image and then something else has cropped up. So I decided, after direct messaging, just name and shame and put it out there. And then very, very quickly it was removed. So... It's probably not the right way to go. I would say 
yeah, send some messages, contact the owner of the company or whoever's in charge of the marketing and ask for it to be removed. And then hopefully they will remove it, but you've got to really speak to them direct. But I mean, that's one of the good things about our industry, isn't it? That it's quite a small, close-knit community yeah. and everybody kind of knows everybody. I mean, Mel knows everybody, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you can't really get away with stuff like that without, you know, you have to accept you're going to get found out. And we are a community and we all sort of support each other, whether they're, it's a company five minutes down the road or 500 miles away. We all support each other. It's a really good network. And then when something like this happens, it throws a spanner in the works but the community's there to get behind you and say, come on, guys, this shouldn't happen. A lot of the companies, though, that are doing this are newer companies, so they don't have a portfolio, mm. so they're trying online. Because of social media, they need content. Mel's had ones in the past who instantly blamed their web developer who's doing the website and said, oh, we didn't know. But at the end of the day, they've paid for a website and obviously, by the looks of it, haven't even checked out what images are on it. And I'm sure most web developers should be savvy to image Totally. Rights. And then you have this particular in-store company blaming the trade supplier, saying the trade suppliers supplied the images. OK, so in that instance where it's one of your installations, you would have taken the photos, even if it's got a brand's product in there, you're still not licensing that brand to let other people use no. it, are you? No, we're letting, if it's a speaker manufacturer, we're taking an installation, they can use it in their publications and they'll credit us for it. Yeah. They're not to then hand that image out to yeah. anybody and say, use it to market. And I think that's a really good point to make because a lot of installers who take these photos, yes, I know, because we, we work in the PR business, that you're often talking to installers saying, can we use that photo because we're promoting such and such a brand? Yes, you can do that, but that brand should not then be passing that over to another installer and say, hey, use this because it's got our products in there. They don't have the rights to do that. Totally. So who actually owns the copyright when you take photos of installations, Mel? So if Bespoke Home Cinemas or an employee of Bespoke takes a photo, then we own the photo. But if a photographer takes the photo, the photographer has to be credited for the image. Unless they sign the Unless, copyright over to you, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I think that's really important that installers should understand. And in fact, one of the pieces of information that I can point people towards after this podcast is some government advice about image rights and copyright and who owns what. Because I think we need to clarify this situation to stop instances like this happening. And, and indeed, you said there's an installer that's still got an issue with this company. So people need to know about it and the community needs to get behind to yeah. stop it happening. One other thing that I'd like to make clear, and I'm sure you know this, Mel, is that Cedia does have a code of conduct. So if you're a Cedia member doing this sort of thing, you could risk losing your Cedia membership. You can get reported to Cedia, and they take a very dim view of this. So, again, I'll point people to that just as a, a point of reference. But thanks for sharing that with us. The Integrated Home Podcast. Now, it's hot seat time. And without wishing to come over all Mr and Mrs, we thought today might be a great chance for Mel to put Giff under the spotlight and see if she can find out some things about him she doesn't already know. Giff, are you ready? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, you've got 30 seconds. Off you go. What's your all-time favourite movie soundtrack? God, I've got to say this in public, The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Which technology product do you wish you'd invented? The Ring Doorbell, which I actually did, but that's another story. Motorhead or Black Sabbath? Motorhead. What's the best part of the job? Coming home to my family at the end of the day. Oh. 
<laughs> Which Star Wars character is most like you and why? Yoda, because mm. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first record you bought? Stand and Deliver by Adam and the Ants. <laughs> what would be your dream job if you weren't an integrator? A joiner. If I could get paid what I do now, <laughs> I'd love to build walls for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so easy. Before we carry on, Gif, can you just tell us about the ring doorbell that you invented? Well, it's not the ring doorbell as in the company of the ring doorbell as of today, but I studied industrial design at university. My final year project was a video door entry system. Forget 3D printing, this is 23 years ago. This was cast resin, working CCTV camera. It had the doorbell push at the bottom with a lit up ring, just like the ring doorbell is now. Uh, I still have the moulding. It looks so similar to what's out there now. I just came a little bit too early because there was no smartphone even invented back then. Still pretty impressive, though. Yep. yep. <laughs> is that why you married him? <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> With this ring, I'd be wed. Very good. So, moving on. It's a bit of a cliche to say that achieving success in business is all about the people. But finding and holding on to good people does matter, especially for integrators. Awareness of the industry as a professional career with great opportunities is definitely a limiting factor. The result is that the pool of talent in this growing sector is not as deep nor as wide as it needs to be. And this can create issues for businesses both large and small. So, why on earth, Mel, should anybody want to work in the home integration business? Well, it's a really fast-moving industry. It's really exciting to be part of the smart home technology industry there's something different every single day, whether you're out installing, designing, programming. There's just so many things you can get involved in. So it is really, really exciting. It needs to be introduced to schools, colleges and universities, which is something I'm working on, which I'll discuss later on. You know, look at what we create. Why wouldn't you want to work in, in an industry like this? Is that your pitch as well, Giff? Well, similar, I think everyone I think who works in this industry has come from something else. There isn't a path to this industry. A lot of people come from the security or telecoms industry. A lot of electricians obviously move into this one field or other. And then there's the tech side of it, which is computer programmers coming in. Obviously, over the last few years, IT is the big thing because everything is connected now. Mm. So you know, there's all these different fields coming into one but there's no actual path to get here you just fall into it and i guess on the programming side i mean what an exciting part of programming this well, is exactly exactly i mean to echo what these guys have just said i mean it is a bit sort of niche so it's not on everybody's radar i guess when they're coming out of university or something like that but in terms of if you're a programmer and you want to see the results of your labors this home automation and, and integration stuff i mean it's amazing when you program something and you press a button and you know, a TV pops out of the wall or lights turn on automatically and do all these kind of things, especially when it's kind of going into the intelligent home kind of where the home starts to do things that you don't specifically tell it to do. It reacts to what your sort of lifestyle is and things like that. It's a really exciting kind of programming. You know, I'd much rather be doing this kind of thing than being a battery programmer working on a banking system or something like that. You know, that would not excite me, whereas our job at the moment, every day, it's a different challenge, it's a different piece of kit we're working with, and it's very, you know, it's tangible. So when you get people coming for jobs or, or applying, do you get a sense that they feel excited about it or 
are they non-plast? For, for us, they do when they see the kit. So, I mean, we, we work with Liverpool University because we're right on their doorstep. So we get asked to come in for careers kind of talks and things like that. So we'll often go and see the engineering students or the computer science students. And um, we've been very lucky that we've had a couple of jobs that photograph very nicely and that are kind of, they look very cool. So we did a, a guy's basement where he had a, a very nice car on a turntable in a kind of glass cylinder. And it, it looks pretty, it's called the man cave. It looks a bit Iron Man-y. And we did a, a bespoke user interface design that kind of reflected the whole kind of Tony Stark kind of idea as well. So it's great to be able to throw up a few slides like that and instantly you get their attention. Whereas the person that maybe was speaking before me was talking about circuit board cleaning or, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. It, it's, it, it's quite easy to follow that kind of stuff when you've got nice photos like that. You show people what you're doing and you talk about spinning a £250,000 car around. That gets their interest and then, you know, they'll come over and ask you questions and things later on. Is that your experience at Bespoke? Yeah, they, I mean, we get to work in the most amazing houses. To the extent where I get very blasé, you walk into a multi-million pound house and go, I've seen better. <laughs> um, although those are the, the photographs that you see, the front of house PR is always these amazing jobs. But the majority of jobs are your bread and butter ones. It's still got the same wow factor to it, but obviously the photographs aren't what are quite as inspirational to everyone. So it's always, I think, the high-end jobs that are used as your keystone mark. Yeah, and when you get people applying to work here, is there a sense from them that it's a special industry or it could be really exciting? Do you oh, think? totally. Yeah. But I, I think they, because of how the images are used, they always expect they're only going to work in multi-million pound mansions uh, compared to you know the, the bread and butter day-to-day -day work where they're getting dirty. Unfortunately, our industry, because everything we do is hidden, it's the interior design photograph at the end that sells what we do, where all the hard work isn't really seen. So I guess in terms of the skills that you're looking for, it's people who can understand that it's about delivering a fantastic solution, but actually aren't afraid to get their hands dirty in numerous different ways. Totally. But Especially that... with what we do at Bespoke, which is the full design and build. So, yeah, an employee of ours has to have it's full Lots multitasking. Of skills, you know, yeah. We are turnkey, so we go from the design stage. We actually do build the cinemas ourselves. We try and bring in very few third-party contractors just to speed up the project. But the same guys that our engineers are building and programming confuses the client. But we are trying to cover everything. Talent identification then is quite challenging, <laughs> isn't it, for you? Yeah, yeah, it's we can go from the programming side, we'll take the micking with certain engineers and go, all you want to do is tippity-tap. <laughs> um, but you know, as a small business, we want everyone to be able to multitask within it. It means we've never got a boring day at work because one day we are in construction, next day we're on a final fix. So having the full scope of it makes the job a lot more exciting and bringing new talent into the industry, saying you know, you'll never have the same day yeah. Oliver, I guess working with Liverpool University has been really helpful for you. It's been great. And in the early days, it, it, it was a bit more difficult because everything was very proprietary. You know, so the systems we were working with had their own programming languages and things like that. So you could go and talk to the students and they'd ask you what kind of tools you're using and you'd spout a whole load of stuff that they'd glaze over and they wouldn't understand. As Giff said before, everything's converging now. So the traditional sort of programming languages and tools and things like that are now becoming the mainstream for, for what we do as well. So that means that we can go and talk the same language to what the current sort of output of students are using. 
and you know it all makes sense they understand where it is and the other side of it is that while we might be a niche industry the skills that they're going to be developing with us are transferable to other things as well so it's not like we're boxing them into a career path that has no nowhere to go for them in 10 years time or something like that you know they can come work for us for a bit and if they do want to go off and write banking systems then fine but <laughs> i don't think they would you know okay um, mel does that college model university model work at all for you have you tried that um we approached Lee's College of Building and Harrogate College and worked with both quite a few years ago. We took on two apprentices separate times and it worked for a year or so. And then um, the thing is with young students, they get excited, but they've got a short attention span and then something else comes along that they feel is more exciting. So unfortunately, we've not seen our apprentices all the way through. But hopefully with what I'm working on with Cedia, this will be the start of things to come. And what is it that you're doing with Cedia? So, yeah, I'm part of a trailblazer group and there's 10 install companies that have come together to form a group that's developing the smart home apprenticeship technician. And Cedia are working really hard to get this going, to get the approval out there. So hopefully 2019 we'll have some exciting developments to announce. And that might help with that career path gift oh totally it's we'd love to actually have somebody who wants to be in this industry so the apprentices we've had in the past were doing an electrical apprenticeship so they're then being placed with us they've loved what they're doing but they're not getting the correct amount of credits on their course because obviously we're not electricians uh, a lot of the guys love the idea but they'd already sold themselves on becoming a sparky um so diversify and go back to yeah. plugs and sockets so it's a practical issue, and if there's a dedicated apprenticeship programme, then they would actually get credits for doing what they're doing totally. with you. I and can see an actual end goal to it. You know, obviously, apprentices, when they come in, they're not going to get paid a lot because they currently don't have a skill set. But I think that's half the issue with the apprenticeship scheme at the moment, that I don't think there's enough government backing for small businesses for it. And what about the mindset of some of the young people, Oliver? Well, I was going to say, first of all, I mean, it's not just the skill set that's the critical thing on this as well, because I think with the, the industry that we're in, you wear a lot of different hats and there's an awful lot of customer-facing kind of aspects to the job as well. So the personality is really important as well. But back to the skills, yeah. I mean, we've had some guys come in very personable. You think they'd be brilliant on site, you know, talking to the clients, write good emails, all the, all the good communication and stuff like that. The soft skills are there. And they come out of university with a first, say, and you think, what could go wrong? But we try and give each of the candidates a little test. And it's not a test to try and sort of trip them up or anything. It's really just so that we can understand more about which areas they, they're comfortable in and where deficiencies might be that we'd then have to sort of supplement with training on, on the job, as it were, or, you know, sort of send them on courses and things. Um, and you do get people who have quite a high opinion of themselves and then we give them the test and they don't score anywhere near as highly and this is basic stuff that you would yeah. expect to be the bread and butter so unfortunately we have had to turn some people down based on that even though the heart said yes and you know we really like the candidate but the results of the test weren't quite there interesting um, is that something that you've experienced too we've had staff in the past have come uh, on paper they look like we've won the lottery they look absolutely <laughs> perfect yeah. um and first day on site you go, yeah, you're technically proficient in one thing and one thing only. And being a custom installer, you've got to be proficient in lots of things. So, again, that's mainly I found people who have come from IT backgrounds 
They're a terrible lot. (laughs) (laughs) But people who are programmers who then move into this industry, you know, unless it's a company that needs a specific full-time programmer, I don't think many CI companies have that. You program and, you know, I'm not saying they have to build walls, but they're on site doing other things. You know, I find a lot of times in the past a programmer will not pick up a screwdriver. I, I hate that kind of because I mean we've been in that situation. Well, I mean that's where I started was I was doing programming for other companies, and you do have to be able to dive in and help. I mean it, it's things like you always get that conversation about why isn't the projector switching on and off, and it's going to be a, a crossover cable or something like that. And the easiest way to do it is just to get your screwdriver out, swap it over, or solder it again, or whatever. And it's the waste of the programmer's time if they're having to sit there saying I can't do that; it's not my job. Mm. So yeah, you have to get stuck in. It's funny though. I mean from a programming perspective, we've also come up against um, integrators that we've worked with that I remember one guy having to go out and buy a, a soldering iron because he didn't have one in his kit. <laughs> Your kid. It's just like that. And he was doing a footballer's house. It was a big project. I think I employed him at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that whole sort of assessment of skills is, is important as part of that interview process before you offer them the job. That's so hard though, isn't it? To it's, get that measure of somebody in a, you know, an interview. With, yeah, within an interview, I think it's the hardest bit because the interview would have to actually be on site for a week. Um, a lot of it can't be done in questions. You know, I've had staff in the past who are amazing at their job, but when it comes down to fault finding, which I think is one of the most important parts in the whole tech industry, that's where they fall over. Fault finding... 100% is, diagnostics is just, yeah. if you can do that... You know, what, what we do case. realistically yeah. isn't hard. We put stuff on the end of wires, we make them work. <laughs> when it doesn't work, that's when your real skill set comes in. It's how quick you can do it. And generally, something's going to go wrong. It's 9pm on a Friday night. Mm. It's always the skybox, but <laughs> we've, we've, still, yeah. we've still got to fix it. So I guess that smart home technician apprenticeship cannot come soon enough. Totally. Yeah. What about the more mature engineers? There's a lot of talk about AVIT convergence. People who come into this industry from IT, have they got the same mindset skill set that you need i think they tend to sort of come from two different camps because i i do have some experience of the commercial sort of it world when i was working at sony you know we were building the data centers for playstation network and stuff like that and there's good and bad in every industry i guess but the commercial sort of or the traditional it guys do tend to be real sort of sticklers for you know the standards and particular product ranges and things like that whereas i think the av convergence into it tends to be a bit more practical Mm. um, because they have to solve a problem you're on the ground, you have to deal with whatever you have to deal with there. And then, I mean, that's not to say that they're not as, as diligent or thorough, but it is a slightly different mindset. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes that causes a bit of friction between the two because the AV guys who understand how to get the job done know that it can be done, and the IT guys may be on the other side of saying, no, you have to go through this particular process or that, you know, change control, or, which are all good things, yeah. but sometimes it can be a little bit over-egging it for a residential project, for example. Yeah. One of the other issues, I think, for uh, smaller integrators is often you might get a huge project which is pulling on all the resources of the company. In fact, you may need to pull in more people just for a short-term, I don't know, three-month, six-month project. So how do you cope with that sort of scenario? We've currently never had to do that. We've had one colossal project. Uh, Lucky enough, the project took such a long time to do. Uh, Not from our side, but we had the time to pace our install over it. But, you know, it was very close to the wire where we're going, we could do with some part-time staff here, but we're up north, the pool is so small, there aren't many subbies up here that you can pull in off a skill set that you'd require on such a high-end job. 
What about you, Oliver? Well, we're just lucky we don't have enough work. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, no, well, right, so we, we're in a, an odd situation, I think, for most companies that we, Ultimation, based in Liverpool, work on the sort of the design and we do lots of the schematic drawing and stuff like that and the programming side of it. And we work with another company in Manchester who provide the manpower for the actual installation work. That's intuitive, isn't intuitive it? Intuitive homes, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're kind of a bit of a double act on pretty much every project. So Steve handles the, uh, Steve from Intuitive Homes handles all of that kind of side of things and he brings contractors in to bolster the team as and when. So um, we do tend to manage to, through luck or good management, get the projects to run in such a way that we don't ever have any sort of real hot spots where we need to bring in staff at short notice. And, I'm pretty and, sure it's good management. Yeah, yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah, but, and, but like I said, you know, a lot of these projects, they can run, the bigger residential projects, from when you hear about them to when they're completing can be 18 months, two years or more. So we tend not to have these kind of real sort of crunch points where we need lots and lots of hands on the job. So the, the problem hasn't arisen for us. So collaboration can work. It's been great for us, and I think it helps that Intuitive Homes and Automation have a very similar sort of mindset in terms yeah. of how the businesses operate, you know, kind of where we see value and how we can add value to the projects and things like that. So luckily, because we're so closely aligned in those kind of things, I mean, Steve and I met on a, a job that had gone pretty badly wrong a number of years ago, and it was on that project that we kind of, there's probably a bit of a bromance going on there. You know, <laughs> we realised that we got on really Uh-oh. well, and, you know, and, and there were probably then a few years where we didn't work together, but then we gradually came back together as our two companies started getting bigger projects, and we realised we needed to bring in some extra help. And that's where the, the relationship started, and it's gone on from there. So it's just lucky that we're very well well aligned. It might not work for everybody. Yeah. What advice would you guys have for integrators looking to recruit people and grow? I mean, from our side of things, from on the automation side of things, because we're looking for a particular type of person who is effectively, you know, a sort of computer science background, tying into the university has been brilliant for us. Um, partly because Liverpool University, I'm going to name check them because I think they offer a fantastic service. And it's also a service that we don't have to pay for as well. They have an in-house recruitment service. So the guys that run it understand what we need. We've got a good relationship with them now. So we don't get a ton of CVs that you might get from a, a normal recruitment service of people that there's words on the CV that the search engines pulled out for you, but they're actually irrelevant. If I give the guy a brief, I'll get three or four CVs, which are all pretty well tailored for what we want. And then, like I say, there aren't any fees for us. So it's a fantastic route to go for us in terms of finding people. Yeah, we've used recruitment companies in the past and some of these online recruitment companies, job boards. And again, you just don't get the right candidates through. They make big claims, don't they? But they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the big bits, though, is actually determining our industry because a lot of these people are from recruitment companies is the AV industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not the CI industry. This is AV as in commercial AV, sure. conferences, etc. And the recruitment companies, I don't think, see the difference. They're, and they don't understand what we do. Mm. You know, so a home cinema or a tech company yeah. is not setting up a PA rig for a wedding. But those are the people that seem to come for the job and go, oh, yeah, we know a lot about CCTV because I worked as a security security officer in Morrison's. (laughs) The number of CVs that we get for uh, automation engineers, and that's in the general work population. That means somebody that works at a factory building cars. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. it's not projector lifts and things like that. I mean, fair enough. They're probably, you know, hands on kind of people, but it's PLCs rather than 
control processes from one of the bigger home automation manufacturers is just a completely different skill set. Okay, so CEDA offers a CV recruitment board as well. Has that been any use for you? Yeah, we've had a few in the past mm -hmm. from the CEDA website. We also have on our website when we're looking for, for staff, we always put it on. I always put it on LinkedIn, social media. We tend to get quite a few inquiries through that. Sometimes we boost Facebook campaigns and we get quite a lot of inquiries through that as well. But the inquiries are generally not the correct the, people. Again, it's yeah. audiovisual guys coming in. I think one of the bits our industry has to do is determine exactly what the name mm. for our industry is. Mm. A lot of companies, although we're fitting cinemas and automation, call themselves so-and-so AV. But I like the American term, you know, CI, it's custom install. But it's an industry where custom install, if you're a home automation company, does that mean you can fit cinemas? And if you're a cinema company, does that mean you can fit home automation? You know, it's the same as saying I'm a dentist and I'm a doctor. They both went to medical school. I know which one I want to go into my brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a question of we've done the hard work. The industry's been built. It exists. Ten years on, you've done all that. It's an established thing. It's actually getting that definition of what it is and the awareness out beyond our industry, out to consumers, to architects, designers and potential employees too. Yeah, I think that our whole industry is still a, a mystery to the layman. Do you think it's becoming more mainstream though? I mean, in terms I, of... I think the terminology has become yeah. mainstream because smart home mm. is being used all the time. But, but the likes of Alexa and Google... Well, that's and things like that, that's you know, actually kind of the issue though because when we're speaking to customers, they think smart home is just buying all these little widgets off Amazon yeah. and now they have a, a smartphone with 50 apps on it. And their house is now actually dumber than it was before. <laughs> but that's not the integration either, really, no. is it? But I think getting that across to a customer, what smart home is, mm. you know, isn't just making your kettle remote controlled. The thing that I've noticed uh, has changed, though, is that when people say, what do you do? I find it a lot easier to explain the kind of stuff that we deliver now. Yes, even, yeah. if, even though it's not, you know, we don't put Alexas into people's houses, you know, that's a consumer product you can buy it off the shelf you do it yourself but but in terms of getting the message across in terms of people understanding the kind of stuff we do that's certainly become a lot easier in the last 10 years I think. So I guess that any work that can be done at a school or university or college level to to get in there and actually talk to young people is, yeah. can only be a good thing can't it? Yeah again going back to the smart home apprenticeship I think once that comes into play going into schools colleges apprenticeship shows where all these young people are looking to get involved is going to be the start of it all. I guess it sounds to us, isn't it, to, yeah. to go out there and spread the message. Down to us all. Yep. On that note, thanks very much. Very Thank interesting. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, Mel, Giff and Oliver. Great to hear your views and to experience the cinema showroom here at Bespoke. Next month, we'll be talking about remote management, service and maintenance with advice on how you can make that work for your customer and for your business. Remember... We're downloadable absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast and all other podcast providers. You can also find us on Twitter at the Int Home Pod and on Instagram now at Integrated Home Pod. Please make sure you follow us to access industry relevant news from the world beyond home integration. You can also download useful resources and find links to topics discussed in today's show and on previous episodes. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of Meridian Audio, Masters of Hi-Res Audio, and is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. 
Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.